I got you a little gift. Ooh, what is it? Here, I'll show you. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Are they little pins? I think it's... Little Golden Girls magnets. I love it. Yeah. I could vomit just looking at you. That's Dorothy. I wasn't saying that to you. <laughs> How rude. All right. Heavens. I know. It's been a long day already. And it's snowing. I was like, oh, I was sitting over there falling asleep. Oh. I know the weather is it's just bothering me because we went down from, it was like negative 10 degrees. Then it would hit 60 degrees. And then now it's snowing again. I hate it. I want to move somewhere warm. Put me in a, a jungle somewhere where it's just constant humidity and 80 to 90. Let me live my best lizard life. And <laughs> Yeah, well, I wouldn't be visiting you there. <laughs> We'd have to meet halfway. Right. Oh, I like your little lamp. I didn't, I've not seen that part of it. Oh, uh, Brent got that for me. Yeah, I like that. It's like a little lava lamp thing. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the, they had them in the 90s, the, just like that, except they're usually square and a little bit bigger, little sand things. Mm. I, I like that it's sitting next to your plants and then next to your Betty White book. Oh, of course. You got to have everything laid out. Yeah. <laughs> On your very nice and neat, neat <laughs> desk. Josh walked into the office one day into our studio and there was a coffee cup that someone left their trash on his desk which was not me it was someone else and he was not having it he does not like a mess and you i took it as an opportunity i said i could easily just throw this away and say nothing but in my head i was like no i'm gonna set my boundary and garbage on my desk is a boundary Everybody, I feel like, knows I'm a little OCD by now here at the office. And I was like, I'm going to take this as a lesson, too, because these straight boys I work with, they're single, and I want to get them a woman. You know, I was like, this means that his mentality is, I'll leave this garbage here for someone else to pick up, and mm. no woman's going to tolerate that. So I was like, I'm going to teach him a lesson. So and then you shanked him in the hallway. Yes. Well, I put on there, too. Everybody gets one. This is that one. <laughs> yeah, he sent out a text in our group, and he's like, with a picture of the empty coffee cup. Does my desk look like a garbage can? But I love that you knew that it wasn't me and it wasn't Kim, so it had to be... Someone that drinks black coffee. I know who you are, but I won't say your name. I'm not mad or nothing. <laughs> You've learned. You haven't done it since. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I think for this one, it's your turn to start first, isn't it? It is. Oh, let me get situated here in my chair. Oh, I'm going from a an uncomfortable chair to this nice cushy chair. So I got to get all situated. Yeah, your office desk sits up really, really high and the, these sit down and they're nice and cushiony. I forgot my Golden Girls pillow too, so I'm a little... <laughs> You're off your game. Now we're going to have a lot of bad, Not a bad, bad juju. emails and... <laughs> which, that brings me to saying this. I love all the positive feedback we're getting for this new show. I love all the emails that people have been writing in and the people who have been following us on Instagram and people who have been leaving reviews saying how much they've enjoyed mm -hmm. tuning in. That's always a positive thing because what's funny about it is this is just a normal conversation I feel like that you and I have whenever we come across things that we find interesting exactly so the fact that people are enjoying listening to you and i have these normal conversations between us it's just fun that they think that they're just like for example in our studio here 
there are two empty chairs next to us. So it's kind of like they feel like they're in these two empty chairs. Exactly. But you are. You're right here next to us. If Don't you know? Don't you know? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Hi, right here by you. I'm touching yeah. your hand right now. And you might be at work or you might be in your car, but you're right here with us. Exactly. Exactly. So you're just our friend and you're listening in on this story. And Josh, this is going to be your story. So tell me what it is because I've not heard it before. Well, my story is all about, let me find the name real fast because it's in German. It is about De Wunderwaffe de Glocke or the Wonder Weapon, the Bell. And I'm not, so I'm not calling it that because I, <laughs> I already don't remember de what Glocke, it's called. De Glocke. De Glocke. I added the German part, just I love the German language and mm. it's. I feel like out of all the languages, it's the one I can pronounce the easiest. So I was like, I have to say it. You know, fun fact is anytime I try to do any type of accent, whenever I try to do it, it always starts to sound German. Yeah. <laughs> so like anytime I would try to be in a play or something and I would have an accent or something, it would always start to sound German at some point in time. I remember in high school when yeah. we did plays together, I remember that. <laughs> if I had some accent, it would turn German. I don't know what that is. We don't have German in our background. Just 2% ancestry. Yeah, but not enough for it to make <laughs> right. me turn German in my accents, but... I will start off with another accent, but the longer I do it, the more German it sounds. I'm yeah. like, where is this coming from? I think it's the first language class I ever took, though, in middle school. Hmm. Frau Farbizna was my teacher's name. Oh, I love that. I can't believe I remembered that. I can't remember names to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. Well, my story is all about the Nazi bell and exactly what we think it is, because it's still up for speculation today. We all know that Hitler and his Nazi comrades are responsible for many current inventions that we use today. Germans actually invented relativity and quantum mechanics. The race to the moon wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for SS astrophysicists who were procured through Project Paperclip, if you've ever heard of that, at the end of World War II. It seems that some Nazis were forgiven since they kind of helped out the United States and our way to the moon, even though some will say, oh, they weren't Nazis, they just worked for them. <laughs> the man responsible for the mighty German V-2 rocket, Werner von Braun, <coughs> excuse me, but believe what you want, I think if it looks like a duck, sounds like a duck, and works for the betterment of ducks, it's a duck. Quack, quack. Did you see <laughs> where that really old Nazi lady just recently got convicted? Yes. She was almost 100. Mm -hmm, in like, her 90s. and Like 97 or something, like 96, 97. She hid for that many years, but huh. justice has no age limit, and I'm glad she got what she deserved. What I loved about it, because I like— all these articles were coming out, and I assume like most people just read like the basic tagline. The headline. Yeah, but I read all of the articles that I was coming across because this could likely be the last Nazi that gets tried. But during her trial, her defense was that, you know, they were saying she's too old, you shouldn't be trying her. But her defense was that she was just a worker and she didn't see any of the Jews because she worked at a concentration camp. Mm -hmm. and she was saying that in her defense that she didn't see any of the Jews being mistreated. And so the prosecution was like, all of these people were being brutally killed. 
were you not opening your eyes? Exactly. You know, so I mean, it was just like, I just loved how the prosecution was just defeating every argument that they were coming across. This woman looked like an old grandma. Yeah, I'm but sure that she didn't used matter. that to her str- you know, yeah. oh, I'm just a little old lady. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I'm just glad that didn't matter. And in the end, this this woman got her punishment for the atrocity that ended up playing out. Exactly. Yeah. That's actually something I have a little bit of experience in is older people. There's such a thing as deathbed confessionals. And my past experience, I worked in a nursing home. And every once in a while, when someone's knocking on heaven's door, (laughs) you get a, a shocking confession from them that you're like, oh my God, I've been like hugging you and bringing you candy and stuff. And here you are a criminal. Right. Well, the Nazi wonder weapon, the bell, it all started in 1936 before the beginning of World War II when a UFO crashed in Germany's Black Forest near Kecksburg. The SS troops were then ordered to gather as much as possible from it, and everything was brought to their top-secret headquarters, Vivisberg Castle. I had to practice that word a few times. (laughs) The crash vessel is said to have been made from a single casting of some unknown metal. It was shaped like an acorn or bell and had no seams, edges, or markings aside from some hieroglyphic-esque symbols at the base of it. Nobody knows what it spells out. Witnesses claim the vessel was around 10 to 12 feet in length and 8 by 10 feet in diameter. You can even see a model of it on display in the town today if you ever find yourself near Kecksburg, Germany. It is believed they studied the crash and began to develop weapons from its technology. Unfortunately, I couldn't find anything on what they found precisely. I don't know if it was just a crashed ship or if there was an actual alien body on board. Even before the crash, Hitler had an obsession with the occult and what is thought of as the dark arts, often having his SS troops scour the earth in search of ancient relics. I believe it was an attempt to either use their mythological powers as weapons, but I also see it as, I'm the ruler, I deserve all the shiny things in my horde. The image of Smaug under the Lonely Mountain comes to mind. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of the relics he was able to obtain include the Spear of Destiny, which is believed to have been used to pierce Jesus' side while he was on the cross, and the crown jewels of the Holy Roman Empire. So, not just little trinkets. Others, such as Thor's hammer and the Holy Grail, were also at the top of his list, but he could not unearth their whereabouts, if they even existed. Did he genuinely believe that these ancient relics, along with the added technology of the crashed UFO, would grant him immeasurable power? I'll let you decide for yourself. Betrit de Wunderwaffe de Glocke, or simply, the wonder weapon called the bell. Sounds better in German, as I said. <laughs> That's what's up. That's <laughs> <Sorry>, our <laughs> De Glocke is believed to have been made from a highly resistant and dense metal. It had a width of 2.7 meters by 4.5 meters in height and was shaped like a bell, hence the name. They really reached for the stars with the name. Good thing it wasn't a little bit longer, or it could have been called De Glocke. <laughs> Sorry. 
Josh and I just find jokes just that we can make each other laugh, to be honest with you. Boy, we think we're funny, and I agree, we are. <laughs> I was in a car the other day, and we were driving to Indianapolis, and we passed something, and I said a joke out loud, and I started cracking myself up. And they were laughing because I was laughing at myself at my joke. And they're like, do you always laugh at your own jokes? And I was like, yes, I do. 100%. And if, and if I'm in the car alone, I'll say the joke out loud and I'll laugh I equally as hard. Like, I don't understand. But, like people have called me funny and I'm like, I literally could care less if someone thinks right. I'm funny or laughs at what I say. I'm yeah. doing it for my own amusement. Right. You're just a bystander. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it is also believed to have contained two counter-rotating cylinders and was filled with a substance that resembled mercury aside from it being a violet color. It is also believed to have been somewhat radioactive. At least 60 scientists died after working on Diglocca, but it is uncertain if they died from the radiation exposure or if they were executed to keep the secrets. Those scientists' bodies were later discovered in a mass grave close to where the bell was contained. Even during experimentation, plants and animals were exposed to the machine to test. They would eventually turn into a black liquid goo minutes to hours after exposure. Scientists even claim to have had a metallic taste in their mouths after each activation, which is an indicator of radiation. The bell was only activated in a room surrounded by ceramic bricks and layers of rubber, all of which needed replaced after every activation because it was such powerful radiation, a task that was given to prisoners from concentration camps nearby. There are many speculations as to what the bell really was. Some reports claim that there was a mirror above it, and while it spun, images of the past would display on the mirror, making it believed to have been a time or even an interdimensional machine. Others claim it could have been an anti-gravity device that would be later used in fighter planes or the flying saucers that were believed to have been utilized by the Nazis. While others think it was just a developing weapon of mass destruction similar to a bomb. Although if it was as radioactive as believed, I could see them just transport it to a city without the protective shell of the rubber and the cement and just turn it on, and every living thing would be slowly turned into the aforementioned black goo. It is unknown what happened to de Glocke at the war's end. Some believe that the United States seized it as a spoil of war and it had it contained in a military base, using its technology to develop air and spacecraft weapons. If you ever see a picture of one, you will notice similarities to the bell and shape if you have seen modern spacecraft designed for deep space travel. Other theories on its whereabouts include being transported to Norway to a secret SS military base. But my favorite idea is that a Nazi officer used it to escape by traveling back in time or even a separate dimension. There is a show that ran from 2015 to 19 called The Man in the High Tower, which I've seen, and it goes into that idea to some degree. The show is based on if Hitler had won the war due to his Wunderwaffe and how the United States would be in the aftermath. It's not a happy show, but it is a real eye-opener on how close we truly came to that reality. 
Yeah, I've never even heard of that show. I've seen it once and it's enti- it's one of those shows where like once was enough, but I was like biting my fingernails waiting for the next mm. episode. Like, come on, I have to know what, find out what <laughs> happens. We may never know what happened to DeGlocka, but we sure can speculate. It's not as if governments are rushing to tell citizens about captured SS weapons of war. Is it still around today, guarded in a secret military base somewhere? Was it destroyed? Or is it being used in our past as a weapon for our destruction today by the escaped SS officer Hans Kammler? Hitler and his army believed in the power of these ancient relics and attempted to find or replicate them to the best of their abilities. Those relics, along with possible alien technology, could have blasted them into a sea of power that no force on Earth would have been able to stop. Was he truly tapping into ancient and long-forgotten technology, or was it just a collection of valuable pieces of history to fuel the most fragile ego on record? I will let you speculate yourselves about the Nazi Wunderwaffe, die Glocke. So no one ever really came to a consensus on what it could have been used for. No, most of it is speculation since nobody knows what happened to it. We know and there's traces of its existence, but after the war, it's as if it never existed at all. That's where all these theories came from, where the United States government took control over it and has been utilizing its technology, which I can definitely see happen. I mean... They took in a a lot of SS people at the end of the war to come work for us in our own government, which is a separate tale we'll get into at another time. But Well, you did an episode on Rotten about one officer. I haven't done one yet. I've I've written it, but I've not um, recorded it. And that was on, as I mentioned earlier, Werner von Braun. He was an SS officer. Genius, brilliant, Mm -hmm. and he worked for the Nazis, and he's the man that's responsible for us getting to the moon. We wouldn't have been able to do it if we hadn't gotten him. But a lot of people defend him, saying he's just a genius. He didn't care about what Hitler was doing. He was just glad that he was able to do his work. And that might be the case, but as intelligent as he was, I don't believe for one second he didn't know what was happening around him. Mm -hmm. And to that I say... You knew what you were doing, sir, and you just didn't care because you were able to do what you wanted to. So, I just, I can't forget that. Yeah, well, at some point in time, it's selfish, I think, to just, and maybe if he didn't know what his work was going into, it seems to me like he would want to make sure that he didn't know just for plausible deniability. Exactly. He developed some of Hitler's strongest, I mean, the V2 rocket, it was almost our end because of that rocket. And I just, I don't feel like being the first one on the moon is a valid excuse, like for the United States Mm -hmm. to use him and his work. Right. I just, that really sat wrong with me when I discovered that. I'm like, yeah. How did I not learn this in school? (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those controversial things that you don't hear about. It's also interesting to me that there are people who, like the woman who we mentioned, was convicted as someone who worked for the Nazis. But yet, scientists 
who worked for the Nazis weren't convicted because we found value in them. Exactly. So that's, it's just a very interesting thing that history soon will forget and we'll turn our eyes to it according to how much value we can get out of them. And that's what happens when you research these people. It's kind of like in small print. They did this for Hitler, but look what they did. We made it to the moon. Yeah. I'm like, good. Who cares? What good came from that besides publicity? I mean, <laughs> have we used it? No. <laughs> can we go there today? No. Right. So for my topic, it's funny that you mentioned the UFO thing and aliens because that's what my topic's going to be on. <laughs> I knew this but, would happen eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to also mention that at the end of our last episode, we had mentioned doing what we were going to possibly call, what were we going to call it? It was going to be... Unmasked. No, we were going to call it After Dark. Oh, yeah. Possibly calling it After Dark. But then we decided while we were doing it that we're not going to call it After Dark because that was the name of here in Indiana an adult a, store yeah. <laughs> out of our hometown of Muncie. It's also a gay club in Fort Wayne. <laughs> oh, is it? I yeah. didn't know that. So we decided that's probably not the best idea because we don't want anyone getting the wrong impression of what type of content you'd be receiving. Have some weird fetishizers looking up like, well, what's <laughs> Mystery this? Mystery Inc. <laughs> after dark. So we ended up calling it Mystery Inc. Unmasked. But in that episode, we had talked about some funny stories of our grandma. But this story, I actually learned because of our grandma, which it's funny, though, because, too, I never would have gotten into true crime if it wasn't for her. We lived with her when we were really young. And when I was in kindergarten, my grandma would take drop me off to kindergarten. And before kindergarten, she would let me watch Unsolved Mysteries. And that's where I grew my fascination for true crime and for mysteries. It's where my fascination for ice cream came from because we would take you to kindergarten and then go get <laughs> ice cream cones. <laughs> but after Unsolved Mysteries, after the episodes, it was time for my PM kindergarten. So I would watch the episodes and then I would go get grandma from the bathroom, which she'd be getting ready, and she would take me to kindergarten. But a little funny thing is that I always thought that Unsolved Mystery with Robert Stack was real. I thought that I was actually watching real footage of oh, okay. what they caught. I was like, it was all fake. Yeah, right? because I mean, I thought as a kindergartner that they got it all on film. So I remember like being at school on the playground, just watching for the van that I just watched in the episode thinking oh, like, you know, I don't think that kindergartners should be watching it, but thankfully I did. Cause I'm interested in true crime. Hey, mystery. kept you safe from strangers and vans. Yeah. But one of the unsolved mysteries episodes that I watched back then that has always caught my attention and I was really fascinated with it. And it was really the first time I ever was exposed to the possibility of an alien attack was what they were calling the Battle of Los Angeles. Are you familiar with that at all? A little bit. And I remember those episodes of Unsolved Mysteries because those are the ones I'd watch with you, like <laughs> the ones about murder and kids disappearing. I'm like, I ain't watching that. But <laughs> aliens, I'm like, okay, I got some time. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Battle of Los Angeles stuck out for me and always has because – you hear about these alien abduction stories, but the Battle of Los Angeles was really a story about the possibility of aliens trying to come to a city and not just one person seeing it, but multiple, a lot of people seeing it, but not just people, 
but also the military seeing it and radar picking it up and there being pictures of it happening and the government acknowledging that something had happened. So that was just a massive thing that happened. But what's also interesting to me is that when I mentioned this to people, especially people who I met last year when I went to LA, because mm-hmm. I just assumed that people who live in LA will know about this. I'm just like, the first time I went to LA, I mentioned it to people who live in LA and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Shane. What? <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? There was a battle that happened here. And I'm like, yeah, you never heard of it. So then I had to explain it to them and they just thought it was really crazy. But anyway, so this all happened on February 25th, 1942. And on that night, there was an unidentified flying object that was spotted over the skies of Los Angeles. Of course, we're talking about California here in the United States. And the city's air defense system was activated that night, which is significant to know that there was an unidentified flying object and a U.S. city's air defense was being activated. Now, the incident began around 2.25 a.m. when a radar operator at a military installation near Los Angeles detected an unidentified object. It was approaching from the ocean, and the object was described as being about 25 miles off the coast, moving at a very high rate of speed. Now, at nowhere could I find how fast they said they thought that it was going. They were not specific on how large they thought it was. They just thought that it was a big object moving toward the city at a very high rate of speed, which was very alarming to them at that time. That was during Hitler and everything. And like I just said, he had UFOs. His could only get a few feet off of the ground and hover for just a few minutes. Nowhere near that capability. But I'm sure they were extremely on guard, like thinking, "Uh uh-oh, this is it. Right. So... Five minutes later, at 2.30 a.m., the military orders a full alert, and they activate the air defense system for Los Angeles, the entire L.A. area. So the city is completely blacked out, and what that means is they shut off the electricity for the entire area. So imagine being in your home. It's 2.30 in the morning. Now, you might be asleep. You might not be your electricity goes out. Now, that's happened here. Everyone, I'm sure, has experienced that at some point in your life. The fan goes off, I wake right up. Suddenly, your house becomes dead quiet, and you wake up to figure out what happened, especially if there's not bad weather because you know something weird is happening. Now, out in L.A., they don't get bad weather a lot, so that would be very abnormal activity. So I imagine that everyone was waking up if they were asleep at 2.30 in the morning. So everyone's electricity is being shut off. It's 2.30 in the morning. Everyone's blacked out. Anti-aircraft guns are then manned. So the city's air defense, they feel like there is a threat quickly approaching the city. Their radar has picked it up. They are taking this very seriously, enough to shut off the entire area's electricity. They're manning anti-aircraft guns. They're all manned. Which are not quiet. And, no. And, you know, if everyone's power is out, I'm sure that. Right. So all of the guns are being manned and their searchlights are being turned on. Now, what I will say about the searchlights, just a little fun fact, because I also have a podcast 
about history. It's called Hometown History. The searchlights used back then, and typically the searchlights still are today, they're called carbon arc lights. Hmm. And Josh, you might remember arc light. That might sound familiar. From somewhere. Somewhere somewhere that sounds familiar. So behind (laughs) our studio here in Wabash, Indiana, there's a courthouse. And on that courthouse, there was an arc light installed. And that arc light allowed our city to take the title as the first electrically lighted city in the world. And because of that arc light, it lit the city. So it was the same type of technology, a carbon arc light. So that type of arc light was used back then for spotlights. So these spotlights were outside. They were being turned on and being faced towards the sky to try to figure out what was going to be coming towards the city. I'd be having a panic attack if I was Oh, there. I know. Oh so imagine you're being there, the electrics being turned off. You're going outside. You're seeing all of these searchlights looking towards the sky. And the radio's down. You don't have a smartphone to look up yeah. what the hell's going on. Like, I mean, you don't have a battery backup of anything, you know, like this. Just, it would just be so scary. So at 2.45 a.m., this is 15 minutes after everyone's electric is turned off. 2.45 a.m., the object is reported to be spotted by a number of people in the L.A. area, including military personnel and civilians. Now, some people describe the object as it being a very large object. Others describe it as being a group of smaller objects. Now, the I think it's significant to mention that high-ranking military officers are saying that they are seeing these objects or this object as well. Now, people are describing it in different ways. Some people are describing it because people are, will be describing things using vocabulary that they know. Some people will describe it as a large object. Some people describe it as just a large object that they can't even put words to. Some people will describe it as they think it's a lot of planes. Some people just can't describe it. So they just describe seeing a lot of objects in the it's sky. It's big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there is not a consensus on if it's one object or many. So that is an important thing to take away. But there are a lot of people who say they're seeing these objects in the sky. And if you've ever been to the L.A. area, that's something to keep in mind, too. When I first was out there last year, as I got into the city, that was the only thing I could think about was like looking into the sky. (laughs) Because it's a different area than any other place I've ever been to in terms of no matter where you are in the city, like you have a perfect view of the sky And it just seems like you're always looking over the city. It's just Mm -hmm. a very unique experience. But anyway, so a lot of people are saying that they're seeing the objects. And at this point in time, there's no fire happening. The searchlights are going. So at 3.16 a.m., that's when the first rounds of anti-aircraft is fired. That's when it's being reported that they're being fired. So they're starting to fire at the objects in the sky. So within an hour of it being seen. Yes. So at 2.30 is when the report is sent in, when all the electrics are being turned off. 2.45 is when they're being seen. 3.16 is when the shots are being reported. That didn't take long at all. (laughs) No. So at 3.16, shots are being sent up into the sky. 
So at this point in time, I'll mention anyone who has ever heard of this story will probably remember this image. There's a really famous image around the Battle of Los Angeles. And that image is of all of these searchlights, of all these carbon arc light searchlights faced towards each other at this, what looks to be an object in the sky. And around this time when those fires were happening, when they were sending the anti-aircraft fire into the sky, this is around the time when that picture would have been taken. Now, one thing that I discovered is that picture was printed in the paper the next day. At the time, it was common practice to do some editing, not editing, I would say do some enhancements of photos just because of the limitation of newspapers. They're black and white, not the best for pictures. Right. So no there was a shot back then, really. Yeah. There was a little enhancement happening in the photo, but the original photo that, that you're able to go find, there still does look to be something that the searchlights are focused on. But it's up for debate. A lot of people say that they do believe that there is something within the searchlight that you can see that is being fired on. Some people say all that's there is all of the divergent points of all of the lights along with the fire and the smoke. Right. So what we'll do is we'll post that photo on our social media with this episode so you can have a look and tell us what you think. I think it's an important image because it's an image of that night. There are a lot of images of that night, but this is the one that if there's any photo that looks suspicious, this would be the one. None of the other photos really would have taken any good images because, of course, back then we're talking 1942, photos weren't that great. So that's something to keep in mind as well. So the image, I will mention that if there was something in the image it would be a saucer shape within those searchlights. I remember the image, and when you mentioned Battle Los Angeles, like that image flashed in my head, but that's all I could right. at the moment think of it. But I didn't even realize that's, that's what it was until you said it. Right. I'm like picturing it. I'm like, is this the Hindenburg yeah. or the... So at 3.53 a.m., almost 50 minutes later, more rounds of anti-aircraft fire is reported. So they're still firing rounds in the air at whatever objects could be up there. At 4.15 a.m., the all-clear signal is given and the air defense system is deactivated. So the military announces by 4.20, five minutes later, that the unidentified object has been fired upon and destroyed or it's no longer in the sky so that it's no longer a threat. Now, there are conflicting reports. Some reports say that the radar picked up, that the object was moving along the coast very slowly away from the city. Some report that it no longer showed up and that it had been destroyed. Now, that's going to be important for later on, and I'll bring that up in a little bit. On February 26th, 1942, which is the next day, the incident becomes widely reported in the media. Newspapers and the radio, they are all reporting on what becomes known as the Battle of Los Angeles. 
So before we talk about what could have happened, I think it's also important to talk about what was happening in the world. It's very significant, of course. And Josh, you mentioned the Nazis. And that date is probably significant in your brain, too, because your story involved the Nazis in World War II. So you are very well aware that this happened in the midst of World War II. I know I'm sitting here thinking, we both chose alien topics in the same era in history. <laughs> we, we don't talk about our stories until we sit down here to record. Right? <laughs> we are brothers, if you didn't believe us. <laughs> so as I mentioned, this was all happening at the time in the world when World War II was happening. The U.S. was a relatively new entrance into the war. So they just declared war on Japan following the attack on Pearl Harbor, which happened December 7th, 1941. That meant that it's two months prior to this incident happening. So that's very fresh on everyone's mind. In the Pacific specifically, where all of this was happening, Japan was making very rapid and quick gains they had just conquered a number of areas. This included Singapore, Indonesia, and the Philippines. So I think it was well in everyone's mind at the time that Japan was doing a lot of work in the Pacific, and they were doing a lot of it really well. And no one knew what they were working on. I can definitely see these people, not even their first thought being aliens. Like they're thinking, right. oh my God, this is a weapon of war and we're right. about ready to be obliterated. Yeah. Well, and overall, the world was in a state of crisis at this time in February of 1942, with many people living in fear because of that ongoing conflict and the uncertain future because a world war and things just weren't looking good. So the day leading up to this incident, I think, is also significant. So there was a Japanese submarine that had attacked an oil field near Santa Barbara, California. Now, that's not far from L.A. If you've never been in the area, it's not far at all. That was actually the first time someone attacked the U.S. mainland since the War of 1812, now, I just mentioned Pearl Harbor happened two months prior, but that was in Hawaii at the naval base, which isn't part of mainland U.S. Hawaii uh, it's is actually Island. its own kingdom, separate kingdom. Right. They just kind of rent us the ability to claim them on our taxes. <laughs> <laughs> That's for another day, though. The Office of Naval Intelligence issued a warning that an attack on California was to be expected within the next 10 hours. So they issued that the evening prior to all this happening. That was lifted at 10.23 p.m. Just four hours later is when this incident would start to happen. So it's still within the 10-hour warning period. That'd have been a nervous wreck. Yeah, and it wasn't clear to me like what led them to believe that there was an imminent attack coming. I don't know if it was because of the Japanese submarine that had attacked the Santa Barbara, California oil field. If that was their belief, that was just a beginning attack and there would be more. Or if there was some other intelligence that had happened, that wasn't clear to me in my research. But the bulletin that they put out to all of these cities was that there's going to be another attack, be prepared. But they did call it off. So imagine living in LA, it's 1023, you've been on edge thinking, will we be attacked? 
and they're like, Hey guys, we're calling it off. It's going to be fine. And you're finally like taking a breather. Whew, I can go to okay. bed now. <laughs> yeah, I can finally go to bed. It's going to be okay. We're going to settle down, take my melatonin. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> little NyQuil melatonin <laughs> cocktail. I would have slept straight through it. Right. So all these people just are able to finally, I think, just relax. And they are able to calm down. But then, as I mentioned, four hours later is when they start seeing this thing show up on the radar. So the results of this whole thing is just so bizarre and important to talk about, too. So the blackout that went into place, it started at 2.30 a.m. That was lifted at 7.21 a.m. So it's almost five hours later. There was over 1,400 shells that have been fired, anti-aircraft shells, 1,400. Mm. Yeah. Don't you mean Jesus? So that's why I cut myself off. I, saw, I recognize a Jesus. Good gravy there, I'm going to say. <laughs> so several buildings and vehicles have been damaged by shell fragments, and five people died as an indirect result. Three people were killed in car accidents, and two people have heart attacks. I which bet. <laughs> I'm surprised that count isn't even higher just because can you imagine being woken up in the middle of the night and going out because you hear all this gunfire and you're all the electric. I mean, cause like it would be so dark and the only light is from these spotlights that are shining into the air and they're shooting at something and you can't see what it is. I'm surprised no one like committed suicide yeah. or anything. Like, well, if well, they did, they it. wouldn't count it. I'm okay. sure, you know, but it, it would just be terrifying and just absolutely unimaginable. So the government in 1949 concluded that weather balloons were to blame, which if I had a dollar for every time I... (laughs) Always a weather balloon. A weather balloon. It would have went down with 1,400 bullets shot into it. That's what I thought, and that's exactly what I said, Josh. (laughs) And said that once the firing started, imagination created all kinds of targets in the sky, and everyone joined in. In 1983, the U.S. Office of Air Force History said the event was the result of war nerves triggered by a lost weather balloon. Now, I will say this. There was a weather balloon that was found to be released at 1 a.m. prior to the incident occurring. The weather balloon would have had a flashing red light, as weather balloons had back then. Mm -hmm. But it would not account for the high-speed object that the radar would have picked up approaching the city which is what first fell onto the radar of the military people. So that would not have explained that happening. That would be saying that would have had to have been a false radar, a bad radar pickup. So that would be their explanation for that, I guess. It would also not explain, as you mentioned, the 1,400 shells not hitting a weather balloon. I mean, if you can't hit a weather balloon with 1,400 shells... We need something else besides these anti-aircraft. Is Star Wars can't hit a target? Pew, <laughs> right. <laughs> like we need something else. And also, I think it's significant because if it is a weather balloon, surely they had to have hit it because they're shooting this stuff into the air. The shrapnel of those things in the air enough should have been able to pop the balloon and make it pop to the ground. Right. So they should have been able to hit it. No one finding any remnants of this balloon 
is just beyond me. So there should have been some type of evidence of this balloon. The fact that they come to this conclusion just because they have a report of someone in a place, I believe it was like southeast of the city, had released a balloon. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, let me think about this. Somewhere northwest had released a balloon, they believed. So at one o'clock in the morning, so they come to this conclusion, well, it had to be this weather balloon. I'm going to start blaming everything on a weather balloon. Right. No, I didn't trip you. It was a weather balloon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and anyone who ever has gets a letter from the IRS, why didn't you pay this on time? Because of a weather balloon. Weather balloon did it, not uh-huh. me. <laughs> weather balloon did it. Some people also suggest that maybe they kept re-releasing balloons to help with the fighting. But again, there are no remains of these balloons being found. So... That was something that I kept coming across was people suggesting that if there were constant people believing that there were attacks coming in, they might be releasing weather balloons to help with uh, knowing how best to fight off an attack if there was an attack coming in. What might have been happening was they were shooting down these weather balloons, but they were seeing more because they're re-releasing them. But there's not really any evidence of that, and there's no evidence of them finding weather balloons on the ground. So that is there just like a warehouse full of weather balloons just ready to go? Like, <laughs> they're just one up well, go, go, go. Well, and for me, surely someone would have thought about the fact that this would also be mistaken for something else. Well, and they I don't, would have seen them going up too. Yeah, like balloons rise, and the fact that you have military personnel. I just can't fathom that some of these people would mistake a weather balloon for a plane or an unidentified object. Because they were fairly common back then. Yeah, I mean, they, they are. And they're, they're big. And you would see a balloon and you would call it a balloon. Right. At the most, think it was a hot air balloon or something. Yeah, not a plane or an unidentified object. It's just beyond me. But there would be some remnants of it. So... I also wrote this down because (laughs) I wanted to just throw this out there that if it's true that aliens were responsible, I question if the government would ever admit to it. Mass hysteria. Right. I just don't think that the government would ever admit to, you know, this is a question that I'm giving you as the listener, you that are listening to this. Do you think if a city was attacked, do you think if they were able to, contain the attack quickly they would admit to this also i also want to give this little piece of history that five years later in roswell new mexico they would also blame that on a balloon on a weather balloon I swear. on a weather balloon the scapegoat of the government yes, weather balloon on a weather balloon but that is my story and there is a movie on this, have you seen it? Bad. I have seen it once, several, like when it first. It's not came very. Out. I started watching it a long time it's more ago. Modern. The Battle of Los Angeles. It's about aliens that attack Los Angeles, of course, and it's not like a documentary or anything. It's more of a sci-fi. Is it the one where they like 
suck the people up into the ships. I watched like the first couple minutes of okay. it and I couldn't watch it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's not like that's not my type of movie, so I couldn't do it. It was a weird movie. I couldn't. I, I, I just, love end of the world movies. I like, don't. Oh, I, I love them. <laughs> See, I just don't. I don't. But I also don't care for like scary movies either. I do. See, but see, that's. This is like the difference between me and I always tell people who like scary movies because I love a good movie. I love adventure movies, mystery movies. I love all Sci-fi. those. Yeah. And I love like horror. I love if it's a true scary movie, if it's a, if it's a movie that's about a true story, but it's scary. I'll, I'm all about it. But if it's a movie that's just made just to scare you, I just don't, I don't do well with it. See, no, I don't, I don't do that or I don't like gory. Like, yeah. When I say I like scary movies, I like kind of what the scary stuff that we grew up with. Give Mm. me a demonic possession movie all day long because that is going to get my heart racing. It's going to make me not, you know, forget all my outside worries. But see, I don't even like that because I don't like that false getting me scared feeling. But this is the reason why because I think. People go to those movies for that reason, but I like to go to movies for the excitement. And if ever you want to actually feel scared and like that actual like heart racing moment and the world is ending feeling, have you ever received a letter from the IRS? (laughs) That's like the most terrifying (laughs) moment because they get people. And I remember one time I got this letter from the IRS and from me walking from my mailbox to my chair inside my home, I thought of all of the ways that I'm going to be going to jail. Oh God! And I was just so terrified because it's a letter from the IRS. They got Al Capone <laughs> and like he was scary. Oh, let me get my chapstick and donut <laughs> pillow. I'm going to prison. <laughs> yeah. So in that instance, I walked in and I sat down and I was just like terrified, like absolutely worst, like horror movie feeling terrified sat down opened the letter and it was like a letter just confirming that your address your change of address <laughs> went through and we i'm always like go straight to the worst yeah and i was <laughs> like why couldn't you just email this you know like why did this have to be a letter from the irs and it says right on the envelope yeah irs but i think like just f- from going into adulthood that changed in me the fact that i just do not want to go see any movie that will make me scared I do not want any part of that because I will get that from any stupid letter <laughs> from the IRS. Like, I've been scared or, enough. I don't yeah, need or that. even if I get a letter from an advertisement from a law agency. Oh, yeah. You're just like, <gasps> who's suing me? <laughs> and then it's some stupid ad and you're like, why are you wasting my time? I was so scared. Killing trees and giving me heart attacks yeah. for nothing. I will say that that time in history, or UFO, I won't say aliens because no one's really technically ever seen one. I believe them. But (laughs) I will say that UFO sightings became a lot more common at the start of World War I and then continuing up until today because mankind was developing weapons of mass destructions, the atomic bomb for a good example. And there was an island not far off the coast of California that they used to test those weapons on. And the areas where they would test these weapons were generally the areas where the UFOs were sighted in. So a lot of people who believe in aliens, myself included, believe that 
it's when mankind developed that technology is when aliens kind of, you know, were like, uh-oh, we better pay attention before these, you know, <laughs> apes here on Earth blow themselves up. <laughs> before we end this episode, Josh, of course, we're going to do an unmasked special episode where we'll talk more about this topic and I have a couple things that we'll go into about UFOs and some experiences and stuff that will be really, really interesting. But I did want to shout out to a couple people who left us some really good reviews. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, we've gotten a lot of really good feedback from people who have been really enjoying listening to us. And we couldn't be more thrilled of people who have been enjoying listening to us and following us on social media and reaching out to say that they've been enjoying us. It feels like we've had more than just this is our third episode but the reviews we've gotten and the amount it's like have we been doing this have i like blanked this whole path have we done this for a while now yeah and what i I love is that someone mentioned that they feel like they're just sitting down with friends listening and one lady said that she laughs a lot at work and i love that but i wanted to start reading a review or a couple reviews at the end of our episodes And because these reviews really help us because when people come across our podcast, they really will go off these reviews on deciding if they should listen or not. Well, it helps me too, because when you put this kind of work out into the universe, you never know how it's going to be taken. Yeah. And when I read a positive review, it really does make my day and, you know, puts a little pep in my step. Like, okay, people are enjoying this. I'll, Yeah, anytime we get a positive review, Josh and I do pay attention. We'll screenshot it and we'll send it to each other. And, you know, we do talk about it. So if you do leave us a review, you might hear it here. But even if you don't hear it here, Josh and I do talk about it and we do share it. And if you do become an unmasked member and you start listening to our Patreon or our premium on Apple, we do mail out postcards. And so Josh put in our first postcards out into the mail today mm-hmm. they're very fun we won't I'm give so it away excited. ironically though it does have oh an alien God. on the front i just thought of that we did not intend that at all yeah <laughs> no but if you signed up you have that coming out to you in the mail it's hilarious but the, this review is from carol corm and she said that she loves our personalities and the way that we tell our stories and she's so glad that she can listen to this from the very beginning and i love that i love that She's here. Carol, I'm glad that you're here and that you're listening to this. And Hi, Carol. How are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Josh and I are brothers. I am the older brother. Not by very much, though. A little over a year. <laughs> but we do want you guys to feel like you are in the room with us. So if you do have any suggestions for us, definitely reach out. We would love if you could leave us a review or some feedback if you would like if you have a topic or a mystery that is eating at you we'd love to hear it as well so drop us a line even if you have instagram our uh, handle is it's mystery inc and we have a twitter now as well yeah it's it's mystery inc and the facebook is at mystery inc too so everything is it's mystery inc the website is it's mystery inc.com I'm a visual person, so I use Instagram a lot more, but Shane, he he loves his Twitter. So uh, (laughs) if you hit us on Instagram, you'll probably talk to me and Twitter, most likely him, but we both check all of them. Yeah, but we will respond to you on any of them. Uh, But yeah, so let's go ahead and start Unmasked. I have the perfect way for us to start it. I'm going to ask some alien questions. Perfect. Okay, Okay. so let me me start it. 